How about now? I like it more when it's his fault, see? I don't like it when it's my fault. It's so good to see you, and it's so good to hear you worship, and so good to be this close to you. And i, I got to remind you, I'm wireless, so I could just come right up to you this morning. You never know what's going to happen. Um, what a joy it is to, to sing with you and worship with you and, and uh, be in family with you. I love you. I don't tell you that enough, but I mean it with all that I have. I love you. It is such a joy um, to be yours and for you to be mine. I hope that you've had a good Christmas. I hope this has been a restful week uh, for you. Hope you've enjoyed the things that you enjoy, family and friends and good food. And, and I keep seeing all these memes of, you know, like, uh, like little Yoda and fat Yoda after Christmas. And I can identify. And, uh, but anyway, I hope you've had a wonderful, restful week. One of the things that I love to do and my family loves to do at Christmas time is to catch up on old Christmas movies. Do you like Christmas movies? We love, you know, we love uh, It's a Wonderful Life is the best ever. Um, but Miracle on 34th Street, White Christmas, we, you know, we love Elf so much we named our daughter, our daughter Jovi. Um, so we, we love that movie. But I wanted to ask you, see how, how much you love Christmas movies, and see if you could identify this guy from the movie in 1983. Anybody know who that is? What movie is that from? A Christmas Story. That guy's name is, oh, it just does something. When I even look at that guy, I just want to punch him in the face. His, his name is Scott Farkas, right? And let's see his, let's see his buddy. Look, I mean, just those two right there. Scott Farkas and his, his buddy's name is Grover Dill. Now, if those aren't two bully names, I don't know of two bully names. I hope your family members aren't named Scott, Scott Farkas or Grover Dill. But when, I don't know about you, but when I see these two guys, I just, I feel some visceral reaction within me. You know, if you know the movie, you know that these guys are bullies. And they're picking on Ralphie and his, and his buddies, and they're, they're just, they're not good people. They're not nice. They're mean. And I got to have this little confession. I kind of like it when Ralphie goes a little crazy, you know, when Ralphie's standing there, he gets this blank stare on his face. And the narrator says, I don't know what happened. <laughs> there was a small white hot flame that began to grow in the recesses of my mind. <laughs> and then he goes ballistic and beats up Scott Farkas. And, and the watcher, the people, those of us watching are kind of going, yeah, yeah. Because the reality is you need to stand up to bullies. Bullies are no fun. And really the only way to deal with a bully is to stand up to them. And that's exactly what we've seen in the book of Galatians. Paul has been standing up to the bullies that are the Judaizers that are trying to change everything and trying to destroy the gospel, Paul says. He's very angry. And this book is a book of his anger and really kind of him going off on these guys and trying to straighten out what they've messed up so far. Uh, as many of you know, we've been in this series called Faith and Freedom. It's been a study in, in Galatians, in the letter of Galatians. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's been a real blessing to my own walk and my own life just to understand Paul's heart and to understand the gospel even, even further. Um, it's just been a good thing for me in the last several months. Today's our last message, so it's kind of bittersweet that we wrap up the last eight verses of the book of Galatians this morning, but we're going to. Um, so as I was studying this week, I realized not only is this letter and this week's message and these eight verses 
an amazing reminder and summary of all the main points that Paul has given us over the last um, six chapters. But it's also a really amazing message for the end of the year and the first of the year. And I just, I'm always blown away at how God does that because I don't plan stuff like that. When we preach through a book, we preach what the book says to preach, right? We don't go, hey, I think I'd like to preach about this and and then put some verses around it. No, we we preach those verses because that's God's word. And and sometimes it lands okay with the calendar and sometimes it doesn't. And, And we just ended the series today and I was blown away that God had really given us a message that's a great encouragement to to put away the, this 2019 and look forward to what God is doing in 2020. So I'm excited about how he's going to minister to us today through it. So Paul's wrapping up the letter. He's trying to mention things that, that he didn't want to forget, things that are important, but he's reiterating the things that are of most importance. He, he's saying things over that he said before, and those are the things that make uh, the most difference. Of course, we know that Paul wrote the letter of, of Galatians because these false teachers had infiltrated the churches all around the place. There were false teachers coming into the church of Jerusalem, into the church in Syria, in Antioch, and also into these churches in Galatia. Uh, This is the way Luke describes what they're trying to do with the gospel in Acts 15.1. It says, but some men, these Judaizers, came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Right? They're saying... Unless you are circumcised, unless you do your part, unless you follow the rule of Moses, you can't be saved. You've got to, Jesus is not enough. That's what they're saying. Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus plus what you can do. You need Jesus plus your work towards righteousness. You need Jesus plus whatever else you want to add that you think you're doing to help. It doesn't help. We need Jesus plus nothing. For salvation amen that's what we need we just need Jesus and he calls us just to have faith to believe and so even the I love, even the verse after this uh, Acts 15 2 the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas begin to have debates and they begin to kind of go off on these Judaizers that are in Jerusalem and they're I kind of keep reminding the scene about Ralphie he just finally loses it and you can just imagine Paul finally losing it and going man you guys have got to know the truth so this letter, we've covered a lot of different things. I want to just mention a couple of things as we go on because it's important as we summarize not only the text for today, the entire letter, okay? You might remember the very first thing Paul says in the very first few verses is, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ. And he's saying something in, in, in that, right? He's saying, I'm defending the fact that I am a true apostle. You might remember that we talked about the fact that an apostle is, literally just means somebody sent on mission, Right? And so Paul says, I've not only been sent on mission, I haven't been sent by men, I've been sent by God himself. Jesus showed up to me, he sent me on this mission himself, and therefore I'm an apostle of Jesus. I don't need man's approval, I have Jesus' approval, and that's all the approval I need, right? And so then he begins to talk about the true gospel. What is the true gospel? It's not what we add to it, it's what Jesus has already done completely. It is trusting and believing in Christ's finished work on the cross. We use that phrase, and I want to I make sure we understand it. Christ has done all the work. That's all that means. If there's any work that needs to be done, Jesus has done it. His finished work, it's completed. That doesn't mean that he brought 90%, and boy, I hope you can gather 10% somewhere. He brought 51, where, where's your 49? No, 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 no. 
He brought 100% of the work. He did it all, right? We trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, not human efforts. We are justified by our faith in Christ, not in our work. Then he goes, this brilliant argument, absolutely brilliant argument by Paul with the Judaizers to bring in the conversation about Abraham. See, they loved Abraham. He was the father of the Jews. And so he said, oh, yeah, well, how was Abraham saved? Well, the the text tells us in Genesis, Abraham was not saved by something he did. It wasn't his works. And Abraham's, you know, famous for the, the covenant of circumcision. And so all these Judaizers say, well, it's to be a Jew means to be circumcised. And that's part of the reason they're pulling people in this direction. But Paul says, no, no, no. Abraham wasn't saved because of circumcision. He was saved because of what? Faith. Abraham had faith and God credited to Abraham righteousness. The very same thing God does in your life. Right? So, so do we, what do we do? What, do we have to bring something? No, we believe. We have faith that Jesus is who he says he is and will do exactly what he says he'll do. And when we have that faith, God credits us as righteous. Not because of our righteousness, simply because of Christ's. And so, Paul tells us that if we have that sort of faith, then we are connected to Abraham. We are his descendants, if you will. He's saved by faith, we're saved by faith, we are his true descendants. But more important than being Abraham's descendants, we're co-heirs. Try and wrap your brain around this. We're co-heirs with Christ. Heirs of God. Daryl said it this morning, children of the living God. Isn't that beautiful? So he talks about that, and then he talks about the fact that at the cross we're all equal. I love that message. We're all equal. There, there's nobody better than anybody else. The, 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 at the foot of the cross is level, right? You've heard that phrase. He says this, there's, there's no race considerations, there's no Jew or Greek, because there was a lot of prejudice back in that day. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no classism, right? There's no slave or free. There's no gender inequality issues, male or female. We're all equal at the cross. Good thing we don't deal with any of those issues today, huh? Does it make sense why we need to study Galatians? They had the same issues we have, and we have the same answer. His name is Jesus, and he's given us the true gospel to be changed by. Then he talks about freedom in Christ. This beautiful life we've been given to live and walk in freedom. And we have a choice. We can walk in our, in, in our flesh, in our own decisions, the things we want to do, and that's a dead-end road. Or we can walk by the Spirit, right? We have a choice of how we want to live, how we want to walk. And then last time we talked about Galatians, we talked about the fact that we really need our identity to be in Jesus. Not in how other people make us feel. We talked about what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? What does it mean to be a family of families? To care for one another? To walk life with one another? What does it mean to to understand the law of of farming? To understand the law of sowing and reaping? You reap what you sow. And so today we're going to talk about this summary that Paul gives us, and he's going to remind us of the most important uh, topics in the letter. So look with me if you would, Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only 
in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the Lord has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who work, walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray this morning as we look at this text. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for this letter. We need this letter in our lives. God, we need to understand just as the Galatians needed to understand the truths of your word in this letter. So Lord, I pray, I pray that you would apply these lessons, these things that we've talked about to our hearts and to our lives. Not just to a knowledge base that we can quote something or we can prove some theological construct. God, forgive us just for that if that's all we have. But apply it to the very aspects of our lives that, that cause us to walk every day in life. In the very stuff of life that, that makes us who we are, causes us to interact with people, causes us to live day in and day out. In other words, let it change us, Lord, to make us more like Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would lead us to all truth today, that you would help me to decrease, O oh God, and you increase in this place, that we would understand what you're teaching us and that it would be a part of who we are becoming in you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. It sounds so good. I have this full, I don't know, is this 7.1? I'm not sure what this is. This is... Full surround sound. It's wonderful. I really prefer that. All right, I want to give you the outro. I mean, the, the uh, outline is what it's called. It's on your card. Real quickly, here's the outline. Paul, in this text, Paul's going to give us an introduction of the text. And then he's going to give us sort of the body of the message that he wants to show to us today. And that body is that he's going to talk about bullies. He's going to talk about boasts. He's going to talk about blessings. And then in the last couple of verses, he's going to share sort of the outro, last couple of statements, all right? Bullies, boasts, and blessings, the main points. But I want us to start with the introduction. It's one verse, verse 11. Paul says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. What's interesting about this is Paul is literally saying he's taking the pen out of, enough for other words, a secretary's hand. He's got somebody traveling with him that literally writes this book down for him in a very fine penmanship that it can be, I would not be a secretary in charge of writing things, right? I can't even read my own writing, much less anybody else. But what's cool is Paul says, I've taken the pen. There's different reasons why he did this. He, one could just be the genuineness. I want to just be close to you, and I want you to see this is my writing. This is for me. Like, it'd be kind of weird if you, if you sent a letter back home. You were, say, in the military, and you ask a buddy, Hey, would you write this for me? I just, I'll, I'll dictate and you write and him go, why don't you write it? I just don't want to. It'd be weird. It wouldn't be the same closeness. Paul writes with his own hand because there's a closeness with these people that he loves. These are the people that he's discipled. He's baptized. He's cared for their families on that missionary journey. So there's a closeness there. There's, a, there's another reason. Some people think 
that is to give validity to the fact that this is really Paul's writing. He's done this before. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.17. Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. This is the last verse in 2 Thessalonians. It's the way it ends. And what's so cool is this kind of gives us a peek into why Paul may be saying this in Galatians. He, it is a matter of genuineness. It is a matter of sincerity to him. Some people think, well, what about the big letters? Why did he write in big letters? Well, some people think it was his eyesight. Remember in Galatians, we studied one of the things we talked about is the fact that he, he said, if you could have, you loved me so well, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Gross, you know. But he says, that's how much you loved me. You loved me and treated me so well, you would have done that for me. In other words, maybe he's alluding to the fact that he had eye issues. Some theologians believe he had malaria that affected his eyesight. Maybe that's why he needs to write in big letters. But I think the main reason he's writing in letters that are large and with his own writing is for emphasis. It's for emphasis. Have you ever gotten a text or an email in all caps? Right? And it seems like somebody is yelling at you. You know? By the way, this is an informational message for those of you who are 65 and older. When you send an email that's in all text, I mean, all caps, or a text in all caps, it's like you're yelling at someone. Don't do that. You only do all caps when you really want to emphasize something, right? So when you want to emphasize one word, capitalize that word. Anyway, um, I kind of think that's what Paul's doing. I think Paul's going, I want you to see this and understand how important these things are. It's important that you know the things we've studied and we've talked about, that, that you get this, that you remember this that you know this. And he's going to give these three points. Number one, I want to talk about bullies, he says in, in uh, verse 12. Look what it says. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Well, what is a bully? Even as I say that word, I bet in your heart and your mind, Somebody's face comes to mind. <laughs> Maybe a family member. I'm the, I'm the youngest of, of, of four. You know, the, the baby gets bullied a little bit. Never my sister. She would never bully him. She loved me very well. But, uh, you know, you get bullied as the baby. Or at school. Or at work. Sometimes your boss makes you turn in TPS reports on Saturdays. It's not right. You know, it's, it's sometimes we get bullied. The definition of a bully is this. One who is habitually cruel, insulting, or threatening to others who are weaker, smaller, or in some way more vulnerable. This is exactly who the Judaizers were to the Galatians. They were treating them in such a way that they felt like they were treating them as, as weaker, lesser, more vulnerable. Uh, and they were forcing them to do these things. Um, bullies intimidate people so that they can make themselves feel better. That's, that's the reason they do it. They, they've, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that, that we can even do this. Sometimes how we treat people is based on what we don't feel in our own soul. And so we'll treat people a certain way so that we can try and feel something we don't feel. And bullies will bully people so they can feel superior. So they have worth, oh yeah, I'm the, I'm the toughest, I'm the strongest. And so I treat people a certain way so that I can shore that up in my own 
broken soul. It's exactly what Paul says the Judaizers are doing. All they want to do is impress people. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. In other words, they're only concerned about optics. They're only concerned about external things. They They only want to be perceived or seen as the people who are better, in control, in charge, the ones with the right message. And then Paul says, so they forced you to be circumcised. But what's crazy about this sentence is, he says, they force you to be circumcised, but they never keep the law themselves. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? You're going to ask me to do this, and yet you don't even keep the law yourself? You don't even believe this yourself? This is what's interesting. This is the main reason bullies bully. And the main reason these people in, in Galatia, these Judaizers, are doing what they were doing. They were afraid. Look what it says. Only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That's it. That's the reason they were bullying. They weren't, they weren't doing We read Acts 15.1. It said, no, you have to be circumcised so that you'd be saved. They didn't even necessarily believe that. The real reason was they didn't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, I want to break this down just for a moment. And I want us to really think about what this means for us and the church at large. See, these these guys were manipulating the gospel, changing the actual gospel of Jesus so that they could count circumcisions. They They were boasting in people's flesh. And I'll be honest with you, I was convicted by this. Because, and, and people like me, and I've done this, people like me, pastors, preachers, church leaders, especially this time of the year, we want to count how many baptisms that we have. How many salvations do we have? Right? Because it, well, it just makes us feel like we're doing a good job. But the truth is, unless those salvations, unless those baptisms are regenerations of someone's spirit, of new life, they don't count for anything. You know, I love preaching and teaching over in our um, food pantry. The people are so hungry to hear hope and truth. And when you speak over there, it's so wonderful because they're just, they want to hear hope and truth. And when I give it to them, many people often will, will come to follow Jesus. Or they raise their hand, right? But Jesus didn't say, go and make converts. Go and make people who raise their hand, did he? He said, go and make what? Disciples. A disciple is a lifelong learner. And so that's one of the things with our pantry we're trying to talk about. What does it mean for us to not just see people raise their hand to ask Jesus to come into their heart, but instead, or into their life, but instead, what does it mean to have people follow Jesus with their lives? They have to make that decision, just like you and I have to make that decision to follow Christ. But this is exactly what the Judaizers are doing, and, and this is what church leaders can be guilty of taking pride in, in the flesh instead of seeking only spirit regeneration in someone's life. Now, numbers matter. <laughs> they really do. Because numbers represent lives. They represent people's lives. But if it's not real change, it doesn't matter for anything. It doesn't matter for anything. Here's, here's the thing that I think is most interesting about this statement, that they were afraid and that they did this only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They didn't want to change status quo. You know what status quo is? Status quo is, let's just keep everything kosher. Let's just, 
let's just uh, not mess anything up. Everything's going just fine as it is. We got the Greeks, we got the Romans, we got the Jews. Everybody keeps to themselves. We don't have that much violence. We don't have that much issues. Let's just not mess with it. And then here comes Jesus. Here comes Christianity. Here comes Paul going, we're all equal under the cross. And they're going, uh-uh. You're not equal to me, right? Isn't that what we do in our arrogance and sinfulness? You're not equal to me. You're not as good as me. You're less than me. And Paul said, no, 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 no. We're supposed to be together. We're all one in Christ. And Paul and Christianity is messing up status quo. And so the Judaizers go, let's keep people back towards Judaism. And that's, that's really the main faith. Yes, have Jesus, that's fine. You can have Jesus, but, but you also need to be circumcised and you need to follow the ways of Moses. So if I can move people back towards Judaism, we can keep status quo. I was reading this and praying about this. The thing that was so convicting to me about their fear of persecution is it just reminded me that the cross is offensive. The cross of Jesus is very offensive to you and to me. You know why? Because the cross says you are sinful. It says you are arrogant, you are self-righteous, every single one of us. It's offensive. For those of us that know Jesus as our Savior, we'd be the first one to hold up our hands and say, yep, I sure am. I am sinful, I am broken, I am self-righteous, I am in desperate need of Jesus. But then there's a group of people, often in the church, who are not willing to make that statement. I want to talk to you about two different groups of Christians, uh, Christians with air quotes. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the first being this, this phrase, cultural Christianity. You've heard that, right? Here, here's how you might know if you're a cultural Christian. If you started coming to church, and I don't believe that about anybody here, but I'm just kind of speaking it in our culture. If you, if you started going to church because Kanye now has a church service, you might be a cultural Christian, right? If you think it's kind of the neat thing and there's good music and you want to go to the church, because then you might be a cultural Christian. Cultural Christians refuse to denounce certain sins if it affects how they might be perceived in culture. Does that make sense? I don't want to change how you see me. Remember, it's all about optics. And I want you to accept me. Therefore, I can't say anything bad about these things. Oh, is it really sin? Does the Bible really say what it means? Does it really? Cultural Christianity. When you're afraid to be fully connected to the cross of Christ and say, I am his. I am a disciple. I believe the Bible says what it says and means what it says. And I follow it completely. But to be a cultural Christian is to draw a line and say, I, I believe this, but don't believe that. This is what, no, no. They refuse to denounce sins because they're afraid of disrupting, again, status quo and being persecuted just like the Judaizers. And the, the next group in the church, consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity. It's, these are people who want a few aspects of the church and a few aspects of Jesus. I kind of like Sunday services. I've always gone to church on Sunday. My family always took me to church on Sunday. Um... I want a little bit of Jesus. I'd like to be married in the church. I'd like to be buried in the church. Right? 
Uh, There's these little things they want to be connected to, but they don't want to surrender their whole life because they're afraid of persecution like these Judaizers. They're afraid that the cross of Christ will lump them into these fanatics of Jesus followers who've given their life wholesale to him. I'll just keep one foot in sort of politics. I'll keep one foot in this. I'll keep one foot in that, nationalism. I'll keep one foot in this. No, you just have to say, Lord, I'm all yours, completely yours. Consumer Christians say, yeah, I liked, I liked the church, but the guy preaching was a little weird, and I, the music was a little this, or the colors on the carpet were this. We're not worshiping you. We're worshiping Jesus. And our hearts have to be for him and him alone, and we have to be people that don't place conditions We have to give of ourselves completely. The Bible says a disciple of Jesus is somebody who's willing to deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow Christ. That's a disciple. Self-denial, daily following Jesus. You see, what the, the Judaizers had was a false religion of approval. And this is painful to me because I have I have worshiped at that place. This false religion of approval. I just want it so bad. I just want you to like me. I just want you to be approved of what I have to say. I just want, so I'll do whatever you want in order to fit into that category. And it's sinfulness. And at some point, you have to make a decision to step across the line of this religion of approval into the spiritual new life and new birth of life in Christ. People want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to live a life without the cross. They want to live a life without sacrifice. They want to live a life without death to themselves. And friends, that is not Christianity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it's cheap grace. God keep us from it. These people don't know Jesus. I'm reminded of uh, the story that will happen in heaven. Jesus says, in the future tense, there'll be people who come to me in heaven. Jesus says, one day they'll come to me and they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do good acts and good things for you? Didn't we do those things in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. That is a frightening story. And I want to be on the side of people that he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, the thing that matters most is not external things, it's internal realities. If all you're doing is external things without an internal reality, you don't know Jesus. Tim Keller says, false religion offers a religion that focuses mainly on externals and behavior. For the Galatians, we're talking about circumcision and ceremonial law. Rather than internal change of heart, motives, and character. The gospel is inside out. An interchange of heart leads to a new motivation uh, and conduct of behavior. They are outside out. The, The Judaizers are outside out, focusing only on behavior, never dealing with the heart, and always remaining superficial. This was me. I'm hard on this topic because this was me, friends. 
I walked into this building, as long as I had the right thing on, wearing the right thing, and, and, and sang in such a way, and looked a certain part, I thought that was enough. And my soul was empty until God woke me up in his grace and goodness. And I realized that what is on the inside matters more than what you see on the outside. Because when something's changed on the inside of your life, then the outside changes too. Here's the second thing Paul brings our attention to. Boast, verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul's saying these Judaizers only want to count circumcisions. They only want to uh, pat themselves on the back. They boast in your flesh. And on top of that, they don't even keep the law. In other words, they have a fake faith. Their faith is fake. It's a sham. They don't believe it. And guess what? When your life is not lived in such a way that honors Christ, you have a fake faith. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we fall. But when Christ has made us new, we want to walk in the newness of that life. We can't help but walk in that newness when the Spirit of God has made us born again. Jesus warned his disciples about people like this. Matthew 23, uh, verse 2 through 5. He's talking about the Pharisees. Jesus says, <laughs> this is so interesting. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. In other words, they represent God to the Jewish people. And he says, so do and observe whatever they tell you. However, <laughs> do not do the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Jesus says, yeah, they sit in a place of honor and you should do what they say, but don't do what they do. I'm just convicted by that even as parents, right? Parents, we got to be... We got to be careful to do what we say we will do because our kids know a sham when they see it. Let's see, you said to not do that, but you just did that. Huh. And when you realize it, go to them and say, You guys, I sinned. I'm wrong. I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? I've already asked God to forgive me. We need to model confession and forgiveness because we're sure modeling mistakes. Jesus also speaks this in, in Mark 7, 6 and 7. He's quoting Isaiah when he says, There's a people who honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commands of men. We can't just say things with our lips if our lives can't back it up. We can't just come and, and say we're going to worship because all it's going to be is some exercise with our arms and listening to some music if it's not an internal reality of what Christ has done in us. It's got to be real. We have to be so careful that our lives and our lips, they speak the same things. Those bullies, they didn't believe the law. They only wanted to boast in their accomplishments. But Paul, he turns it on his head, doesn't he? Verse 14, look what he says. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has crucified has been crucified to me and I to the world for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation 
I love, I love this because Paul's acknowledging with a right perspective on who he is and who God is. He says, far be it from me that I could boast in any of you or anything. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I can't boast in anything except in that which has done anything, and that is Christ on the cross. And what he's done on the cross is everything. And I'll boast in that. He's changed me. He's given me life. He's given me hope. I can boast in that, in that alone, not in anything that I bring. Paul doesn't have here self-confidence, but Christ-confidence. He's not trying to impress anyone anymore because that kind of life is a life in the world. Paul says the, the life in the world, trying to impress, trying to be something to somebody. Listen, those are all worldly things that I have been crucified to. Paul has a great understanding of who he is. John Stott says, we need to visit Calvary. It is there at the cross. We shrink to our true size. You should never meet a Christian who calls himself a Christian or a Christ follower who is arrogant. I know we do. I know I've been him. But you should never meet somebody who calls himself a Christ follower that doesn't have this perspective like Paul does. Far be it from me to boast in anything. Lord, I want Christ confidence, not self-confidence. Paul shows them the need to focus on the internal over the external. Look at verse 15. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, first of all, we need to understand Paul's repeating this from Galatians 5, 6. This is a, a recap from the previous chapter where he said the exact same thing. Circumcision or uncircumcision, it doesn't matter. What matters is a new life. What matters is a new creation. What your external religion shows only matters if there's an internal reality that's been made into a new creation. Uh, one of our, uh, our very first core value at South City is, you may know? Uh-oh, test. What's next test? Here we go. Anybody, anybody know the first core value? Trans that's close. You get the credit. That's good. Transformative discipleship. And now you're all like, oh, yeah. That one. It's a big deal to us. Transformative discipleship means that I am a Christian, I'm a disciple, I have been changed. I'm different. Salvation is transformational in our lives. It's a radical change of the interior of our life, not just the external signs that we put off. I heard a wonderful message by one of my favorite teachers, Alistair Begg. He was teaching about, uh, I think he's from, he's from Scotland. Or Ireland, I think it's Scotland. I'll get those two mixed up. One of those places over there. And uh, he was talking about the fact that when people die in Scotland, that they don't put makeup on them to make them look better. He says, I come over here to America. He said, and you all spend all this money to make dead people look alive. <laughs> and he just went on and on about this, this hilarious cultural thing that we do. It reminds me of that movie, Weekend at Bernie's, where the guys are holding the dead uncle up and he's, you know, trying to make him look what? Alive. And when you practice a life of external religion, it's like putting makeup on a dead corpse. When we have salvation, we're made alive in Christ. Without Jesus, we are dead. 
and it's like makeup on a corpse. It'll never look good enough. Right? It'll never be alive. He said, you can waft in front of mine his perfect little accent. You can waft in front of my nose my favorite meal, and it won't change a thing. I'm still dead. Religious or moral attainments, that's what Paul's getting at when he says circumcised or uncircumcised. Religious or moral failures, they're irrelevant when it comes to salvation because it's not about what I've done. It's only about what Christ has done. And the question is, what have you done with what Christ has done? Are you a new creation? Have you been made new? I didn't say, do you know how to serve? I didn't say, do you know how to do things around the church or in the community? No, I said, have you been made a new creation? And is it out of that new life that God is moving in you? 1 John 3, 9 gives a pretty good test. It says, no one born of God makes a practice out of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If you're a new creation, then you, and if you live, are living in a life or of habitual sin, if you are still struggling in sin and you, you are been made a new creation, you're probably the most miserable person on earth. Because the living God has come into your heart and he wants to change you. He wants to get out the sin in your life. And what a wonderful test. You can't keep on sinning if you've been born of God. Then lastly, Paul's going to bring our attention to this design of God, blessings. I don't know about you, but when I, if you ever get an email from me, I finish it like this. I always say, blessings, Drew. I think I stole it from a friend, but uh, I just like that. I want blessings on your life, and I hope you receive blessings, and I hope you're living in blessings. And I kind of sense that's kind of what Paul's doing here. At the very end of the letter, last three verses, he's going to give us a blessing. He says in verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul says if you walk, another word for live, if you live by this rule, by the, word, by the way, the Greek word for rule is, is kind of like what a carpenter uses to make sure he has a straight edge. It's like a plumb line. So if he's going to build a wall or he's going to build a road or he's going to build a house, he wants to make sure that it's level. And he uses an instrument called a rule. Paul's basically saying God has created a rule, a level, a design for how life ought to be lived. If you walk in that design, if you live by that rule, if you live by that way of life, then you're going to have peace and mercy. It's going to be upon you. You're going to have peace because you're no longer an enemy of God. And you're going to have mercy because you've accepted Christ's sacrifice for you, his grace and mercy will be over your life because you don't have to worry, did I bring enough to be saved? Talk about a rat race. Talk about a rat wheel. Oh, if, did I sin too much today? Oh, gosh, did I, did, I, did, I, did, I not, did I bring enough to tithe? Did I pray enough yesterday? Right? God wants us to rest in our salvation, which is the completed work of Christ. He wants us to be changed from the inside out. And when the inside is changed, we, you have to keep us from giving too much. You have to keep us from serving too much, from loving so much, because we've been changed. 
and what's really been changed on the inside comes out. Then he uses this phrase, and upon the Israel of God. This is a great little throwback nod to the conversation about Abraham. Galatians 3.29 says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Because we have faith, we're his descendants, we are now the Israel of God. And then I want to bring your attention as I close here to Paul's outro. He's talked about the bullies, the boasts, the blessings, and now he's got a couple of statements in 17 and 18 that he wants to make. He says, brothers, he says, uh, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. (laughs) Don't bother me with these quarrels anymore. I'm a servant of Christ, and my body bears the marks. This word in the Greek for marks or scars is stigmata. And what it means is uh, scars, basically. But the way that the Greeks would use it is they would have slaves. And they would literally brand their slaves with a brand. So they would know, that's my slave. Paul is basically saying, listen, my body bears the stigmata of Christ. It bears the marks, the scars of a life in Christ. I am his slave. That's what he's saying. You remember the conversation that that Paul talks about in, in, uh, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 11. He lists this huge list of all the things that he's walked through. Shipwrecks, stonings, lashings, snake bites, being lost at sea. I mean, all these different things. He's saying, all you have to do is look at my body and you'll be able to see the scars that I'm not my own. Isn't that what he said in Galatians 2.20? He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ live in me. I'm his. I don't even exist anymore. I'm his. Don't bother me with these quarrels and trust that I am his apostle and my body shows proof. And then there's this inference, I think, or this implied comparison with the Judaizers, right? Do you see any marks on them? Check them out. See what list they have of of complications. You won't find any because they're afraid to be persecuted for Christ. He says, look at my body. It bears the marks of slavery to Christ. I am his. And then lastly, Paul says in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. I, I love the way he ends this letter because he ends it in the exact same way he started it. He bookends this perfectly. Galatians 1, verse 3. He says, to the churches in Galatia, what's the very first word he says to the, really in the message to the churches? Grace, right? Isn't that beautiful? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is, he's emphasizing the need for grace. It is not what you've done. We all fall short. It's only about the grace that we have in Jesus. That's it. It's grace that saves us. It's grace that sustains us. It's his grace that sanctifies us. He wants to leave them with this overall encompassing, book-ended truth of the grace of Jesus. We haven't used this verse. I can't believe I haven't used this verse in this whole series, but I put it on your card. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Couldn't be a better verse to wrap up what Paul is speaking to us in this series. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing, right? It is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Can I encourage you to memorize that? Know that with your, your whole heart. So that when your flesh says, oh, that was a pretty good job preaching today, Drew, way to go. I can go, hmm, I got nothing to boast in. That was a pretty good job serving over in the pantry. Way to go over and doing it. No, I got nothing to boast in but the cross of Christ. And then his very last word to the church in Galatia is a word of family. He says, grace, he says to them, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. I love that because, it's, again, he's addressing them as family. We're one. We're one in Christ. We know the Lord. You're my brothers. You're my family. And he encourages them to walk in spirit, in the spirit and to live by grace. This has been such a good series for me. And I honestly believe this as I've thought about this. I think Galatians is the best book that breaks down what it means to live in the gospel of Jesus. It is such a great book about what it means to live in the gospel of Jesus. What does that mean for our lives? So as I close, listen, I'm, I'm thankful for this text. And I'm also thankful that we wrap up this last, uh, not only is it the last text in Galatians, it's the last Sunday of the year. If you've had people in your life, leaders, family members, either in the past or even in the present, that have been bullies, they have been people with ulterior motives in your life. They have used you, forced you, uh, hurt you. Be done with bullies this year. Be done with bullies. But I also want to say this. If you've been a bully, be done with bullying. Because if I'm honest, as I looked at the characteristics of a bully, you know, ever read something and you recognize something in your own soul and you kind of go, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, it hurt just a little bit. There was a few things I read about bullies and I went, ah, okay. Let's not only be done with bullies this year, but let's be done with bullying. That means we got to find our identity in Christ alone, not in what other people make us feel. We need to be more concerned about our internal life than our external religion. We need to be more concerned about God's approval than man's approval. I mean, even if we could just do those three things, we would be a different church. We would be a different community. And then in our boast, listen, some of you have had successes. Some of you have had failures this year. Some of you are so ready for 2019 to be done. Can we just move on, please? I get it. But as we move on, can we just boast only in the cross of Christ? Not in the brokenness, not in the victories. Can we be dead to the world through the cross? Can we have a worldview, an identity shaped only by the cross of Christ? A life in Christ is picking up that cross daily, denying ourselves and being a disciple. Not a cultural Christian, not a consumer Christian, a Christ Christian. And let me just tell you, some, to your friends, to the world, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that the cross is foolishness. It says it's foolishness. You're going to have friends and teachers and bosses that go, whatever. Because they say it's foolishness. But it also says to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. 
May our lives, our identities, our boast only be in Christ this coming year. And then lastly, may we live in the rule. May we live in the design, the God design of obedience. Following the Lord. And when we do, we'll walk in peace and mercy. Because we're a new creation in Christ. This next year, may we walk in his spirit. May we live by his design. May we have the faith to trust him and the freedom to serve him. Where do you stand this morning? What is this series, what has this word done in you? Has it challenged your identity? Has it challenged what you put your hope in? Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your kindness, your goodness, the way you love us. Lord, thank you for this letter. Thank you for Paul. God, it's impossible to grow up and not be bullied at some point, not know the feeling of either being left out or forced down. Lord, I believe in a room this size with people, there have been a lot of bullies and a lot of stories. There may be abuse of all kinds. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you bring healing to our lives. Lord, some people in here may, may say, yeah, I identify with bullies because I am one. And I've tried to gain my confidence and my significance in treating people a certain way so I can feel a certain way about myself. God, would you forgive us? Would you humble us? Would you help us to gain all that we need from you? God, may we boast only in you and your cross and our identity as believers in that cross. And God, may the blessings of our life flow because we live in the design you've laid out for our lives. Lord, what a beautiful opportunity we have this morning in the last Sunday of December 2019 to pray a prayer, to ask for your help, to plead for your presence, for change in our lives. Lord, as a church, I just want to pray a prayer that you would help us, Lord, this, this year, this coming year, to, to serve you, to follow you, to be submitted to you, God. Do in us all that you want to do and make us attentive and courageous and creative to do it. And God, if anybody in here needs to make some things right with you as they end this year and step into the next, Lord, would you do something in their heart and soul even now as we close our service, as we sing, as we pray. May this time be a time of focusing on you, speaking with you, communing with you. Fill us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' precious name.